Welcome back. Let's talk about chapter eight, trusts. First off, what is a trust? A trust is just a legal entity that can hold property. It's like a business. It's not a person. Okay, it's just separately established as a legal entity, but you can use it to hold money and to distribute your assets the way you want, reduce paperwork. Okay, basically you set up the trust, you put money in it, and then you leave a set of instructions as to how you want the trust to be run. Trusts are created when the grantor transfers property to the trust. Now grantors are sometimes called trusters, settlers, creators. Basically the grantor is the person with the assets who's creating the trust. And once the money is put into the trust, it gets retitled so that it's no longer owned by the grantor, it's owned by the trust. Okay. And then the trust can make annual payments to any income beneficiaries for a specified period of time, could be life or 10 years or something like that. Okay. The beneficiary can be the grantor themselves, but it could be a family member, it could be charity, it could be basically anyone that the grantor wants. And then at the end of the trust term, the remainder of the assets get distributed according to the terms of the trust. Again, the beneficiary here can be any family member, really, a child, a charity, okay? But trusts have these two types of benefits, income benefits and remainder benefits. Okay? Income benefits are made during the life of the trust and remainder benefit is all the money that's left, the remainder, at the end of the term of the trust. And all trusts must end, okay? The IRS has rules against setting up trusts that last forever. It's called the rule against perpetuities. And so every trust has a lifetime. Now, they doesn't necessarily have to have an income beneficiary or even a remainder beneficiary, as long as all the money is paid out by the end of a specific term. So why would you want to create a trust? What are the reasons for, to create a trust? Okay, first off is management of assets. Sometimes you want to leave assets to someone, but you're not sure if they're really gonna be capable of managing those assets properly. Okay, so you may want to set up a trust and have a trustee manage the assets for the benefit of the person you want to leave them to. Trusts are also excellent for protecting against creditors. When you just transfer money to an individual, that becomes their money and it's therefore subject to their creditors. If they owe money, the creditor can come and take that money. But if it's held in a trust, it's generally protected against those creditors. Trusts are also really useful for splitting interest in property. So let's say you want to leave the family cabin to your four children. You can't just gift it to one of the children and give them a stern, now make sure you share with your brothers and sisters, right? That may not work so well, but you can leave it to the trust and the trust can say, all right, these four children each own 25% of the assets in the trust and the asset in the trust is the cabin, okay? Uh, trusts are great for avoiding probate. Anything in a trust will bypass probate. Now that doesn't necessarily mean it will avoid estate tax or be excluded from your gross estate. Okay? It will depend on how you set it up and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in this episode. And finally, it can be useful to avoid taxes. So you can transfer in uh, assets that are expected to appreciate like we talked about with gifts. Okay? It may be useful for reducing the transfer tax so you can gift a low price stock that grows to become a high price stock without having to use a lot of your uh, gift tax exclusion. 
Now, taxation of trusts is a pretty straightforward thing. For income tax purposes, they're treated as hybrid entities. Okay, and so all income received by the trust is taxable to the trust unless it's paid out to the beneficiary or to the grantor. Okay, unless there's a specific exemption, all income is just going to be taxed. There's no deductions, credits, etc., anything like that. Okay, it just gets taxed as income tax. And estate and trust taxes have their own income tax brackets that they operate off of. So they're different from the normal income tax brackets, but they're also much simpler. There are rules about how much income a trust must distribute. Okay, so a type of trust called a simple trust okay, mandates that every year all trust income has to be distributed to the beneficiaries. Okay, and in that case, the beneficiaries will pay income tax as their personal income tax from the benefit, right? Because the trust has not retained any of the income, therefore it doesn't have any income to be taxed. All of the income has been paid forward to the beneficiaries and therefore the beneficiaries pay the income tax. However, the trust is still responsible for taxes on any capital gains received on the trust assets. So if any assets in the trust have been sold and there's a capital gains there, the trust will be taxed on those gains. A simple trust can become a complex trust when it distributes any of its principal or pays out a benefit to charity. So any year in which the principal, not just interest, but the principal is paid out or a payment is made to charity becomes a complex trust for that year. In the next year, it will revert back to a simple trust. Okay, and a complex trust is permitted to accumulate income. So if you distribute some principal in January, then you can let the income for the rest of the year accumulate until the following January, right? The next calendar year starts. So you can increase the assets that way, assuming you didn't distribute out more than you earned in interest over the year. As I mentioned earlier, not all transfers to a trust will be taxable as a gift. Whether or not it's considered a gift and therefore subject to gift tax will depend on the characteristics of the trust. Most specifically, whether or not the trust is revocable. Okay, a revocable trust is a trust where the grantor can change their mind. Right? If you create a revocable trust, you're like, I'm creating this trust, but I reserve the right to cancel the trust and take my money back. Okay? That is not a completed because you can take the money back, it's not a completed gift, right? An irrevocable trust is a trust that cannot be canceled. Once the grantor puts the money into an irrevocable trust, it can no longer be taken back. And at that point, it becomes a completed gift. And remember, when we talked about the gross estate, what counts as being part of the gross estate? Only incomplete gifts count in the gross estate. So if you put your money into a revocable trust, it's not a completed gift and therefore it doesn't count towards your gift tax exemption or none of the gift tax laws apply to it, but it also will be included in your gross estate and subject to estate tax rules. Okay, so that's the pro and con, revocable versus irrevocable. Revocable, you can take your money back and you're not using any of your gift tax rules, but it is gonna be included in your gross estate versus an irrevocable trust where the gift is considered completed. You can count that against your current year's gift tax exemption 
Okay, but since you no longer own the property, have no rights to it, it is no longer part of your estate. And so you can skip including it in the gross estate if it's in an irrevocable trust. There are basically seven broad types of trust arrangements. Okay, and these arrangements are basically set up by the way you create the trust. Okay, the way it's created determines which of these aspects applies. Okay, revocable versus irrevocable are the first two types. Okay, revocable trusts are not completed gifts. Irrevocable trusts are completed gifts. You retain no rights whatsoever. Okay, and that lets you skip the gross estate. The third type of trust arrangement is called an inter vivos trust. Okay, inter vivos is Latin for during life. So inter vivos trusts are created during the life of the grantor when they are alive. Okay. By contrast, a testamentary trust is created after the death of the grantor, usually through the will. Okay, so the will might say, I would like to create a trust to do such and put these assets in that trust. That trust is a testamentary trust because it was created by the will after the grantor died. Another type of trust is called a standby trust or also a contingent trust, it's sometimes called. Standby trusts are not created until there's a triggering event. Okay, so you, may, you might, for example, put in your living will, if I am in a coma, then create this trust, put this money in it, and do such and such with it. Okay, that's called a standby trust. It's on hold, it's on standby until the criteria is met to satisfy it and it gets triggered and created. Next is the pour over trust. Pour over trust receives assets from another source, usually the will. Okay, so usually you create the trust and you put very minimal amount of money into it, very few assets, okay? But then it gets created or it gets funded largely from the will. Okay, so the way this would work is you would have, you would create an inter vivos trust while you're still alive, put just a little bit of money into it. You have all the terms set up, everything's created, it's ready to go, it just doesn't have very much money in it. And then in your will, you say, okay, when I die, transfer all of these assets into the trust. And so that way you can create the trust first, make sure you get all the T's crossed and the I's dotted, and then fund it mostly after you die. Okay, last type is a grantor trust. A grantor trust is an inter vivos trust, can be revocable or irrevocable, but in the case of a grantor trust, the grantor is responsible for the income tax, not the trust itself. Okay, so we have Trust can be revocable or irrevocable, inter vivos or testamentary, standby, pour over, or grantor. Okay, and these can cross, right? You can have an inter vivos pour over trust that is revocable, right? So they go over that. These are characteristics that, def that define the trust and how it operates. So those are the broad types or characteristics of trust arrangements, okay? Let's now talk about some of the specific types of trusts that use these combinations of terms to do specific tasks, okay? The first, inter vivos trust. When people use an inter vivos trust, it's the most commonly used kind, okay? They created during life to avoid probate, to guard against the will, 
right? It's harder to contest an inter vivos trust than it is to contest a will. Okay, it's not great at reducing estate taxes. No gift taxes apply because they're revocable. Okay, so you don't have to worry about gift taxes, but you do have to worry about estate taxes. But it gives you greater privacy than the will, and it's more difficult to contest. Okay, life insurance trusts are often called irrevocable life insurance trusts, ILIT, or a wealth replacement trust, a WRT are often used to replace the wealth lost through an estate tax, okay? So what happens is you take a life insurance policy and it's owned by the trust. And that means that the proceeds will not be taxable, right? And so when the grantor dies and their estate's being processed and they're paying their estate taxes, the proceeds of the life insurance policy owned by the trust, it's not owned by the grantor, it's owned by the trust, can be used to replace the taxes that were paid to on estate taxes. Next, bypass trusts are also known as credit shelter trusts. These are irrevocable trusts established after the death of a spouse for the benefit of the surviving spouse. Okay, so generally what happens is the spouse creates the bypass trust in their will, which makes it a testamentary trust, right? And they put assets into it and those assets flow to the surviving spouse, okay? Now, because the trust owns the assets and the assets in the trust are managed by the trustee, the surviving spouse never actually takes control of the assets. Okay? And there can be a couple of benefits to this. First, maybe your spouse is just not really financially savvy to take care of the amount of money that you're leaving, okay? But most importantly is the transfer does not go into the spouse's taxable estate because they don't actually take control of it. And so when the second spouse dies, that money will not be included in their estate, which can be really helpful at reducing the estate taxes that are owed. Next, qualified terminal interest trusts or Q-tip trusts okay, are used to grant benefits to a surviving spouse while the grantor remains in control of who gets the surviving benefit, the remainder benefit, right? So this would be useful if you want to leave your spouse to retain use and benefit of the assets, but once your spouse dies, you want to retain control over who gets it, okay? This is often really useful in cases where there's multiple marriages, say, or children from multiple marriages, right? The grantor wants to make sure that their current spouse gets to continue to benefit from the assets, but maybe they're not quite so confident that the current spouse will take care of the children from a previous spouse, right? Uh, and so the Q-tip trust can say, hey, look, my, my current spouse gets to use the money as long as they're alive, but then once they die, the money will be distributed in such and such plan to the people that I like, okay? Next, grantor retained income trusts are trusts where the grantor transfers property to the trust but retains some form of income or interest from the trust for a specified period of time. And then at the end of the term, right, the remainder interest is transferred to the designated party, right? So a grantor retained income trust or GRIT, as it is often abbreviated, is useful for giving money but retaining some benefit. 
And there's actually several varieties of these grantor retained trust, okay? The grantor retained interest trust is one version, okay? But the grantor retained annuity trust is another, or a grant, okay? And the grant pays a fixed percentage of the initial contribution. Okay, so the dollar amount benefit that the grantor retains is going to be fixed at the start of the trust. Okay, so when the trust is created, the grantor is going to get X number of dollars, and that X number of dollars stays the same throughout the life of the trust. Another version is the grantor retained unit trust, unit trust, or GRUT. The GRUT, unlike the GRAT, pays a fixed percentage of the current value of the assets. So the assets are going to be need to be revalued every year, and the payment is going to fluctuate up or down depending on the value of the property. The Qualified Personal Residence Trust, or QPRT, uh, does the same thing but for property. And the Tangible Personal Property Trust, TPT, does the same for tangible property. Okay. But these are trusts that allow the grantor to retain some benefit, the income benefit or the use in the case of a QPRT or TPPT. The grantor retains the use of the property for a specified period of time before the remainder is transferred to the beneficiary.